0: Welcome to Eat, Drink, and Do Good, the monthly newsletter and now podcast from Studio Atau. I'm Jenny Dorsey, the studio's executive director. Every month, we bring you fresh op-eds from new and emerging writers from across the U.S., covering a variety of social justice topics that will encourage you to think a little more critically about the world around you. Each podcast episode features the writers themselves reading aloud their work, and we hope you'll learn as much from them as we did. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please also consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash that's studio A-T-A-O, or via a one-time gift on our website at studiotau.org donate. I hope you love the op-ed today. Prison labor fills the worker gap in our food system. By Sea Dreams. As labor shortages have continued to strain the food and beverage industry over the last few years, huge companies like McDonald's, Wendy's, and Starbucks have turned to prison labor for low paid or even unpaid work to fill the gap. This has created a corrupt incentive for corporations to lobby for harsher sentencing and parole laws and longer prison terms to increase their pool of available labor. As of January, 2023, the U.S. has the second highest incarceration rate globally with more than 1.6 million people behind bars. It is estimated that at least 20% of incarcerated individuals work outside of prisons in various industries. Of that 20%, just 6.5% of prison labor generates $11 billion in annual revenue. But these individuals are paid as little as $0.13 per hour, and five states do not pay their prison laborers at all. Coerced prison labor has long been a lucrative business model for sectors such as agriculture, meat packing, and food processing and manufacturing. Post-emancipation, southern states continued to use black labor by leasing out imprisoned folks to plantation owners through a system known as convict leasing. In the documentary, 13th, Director Ava DuVernay explains how this incentivized Rapid mass incarceration. The impact of our current carceral state is felt not just within the prison walls. Federal and state regulations that require disclosure of past criminal records make it difficult for formerly incarcerated folks to find steady employment, resulting in as many as 60% of former prisoners being unemployed. Four years after release, 33% are still unable to find jobs due to reluctant employers and little or no education due to their time in prison. With few options, formerly incarcerated individuals are forced to accept some of the same low-paying, unstable jobs as their incarcerated peers with few protections or benefits. This makes reintegration even more challenging, creates a sense of hopelessness, and can drive increased recidivism, pushing these same individuals back into prisons to be exploited as cheap labor. The restaurant industry is yet another entrant into the prison industrial complex, which activist organization Critical Resistance defines as the overlapping interests of government and private industry that use surveillance, policing, and imprisonment as solutions to economic, social, and political problems. In 2019, the National Restaurant Association received a $4.5 million grant to train currently and formerly incarcerated individuals at a time when job vacancies are soaring because there aren't enough people around to take on that low-wage work. For those entering restaurants after release, the exploitation of workers may be more subtle, but no less pernicious. Restauranteers say they are solving a social problem when in reality, they benefit directly from perpetuating poverty wages as low as $2.13 per hour for tipped workers in 15 states. For me, this issue is both relevant and personal. I spent more than a decade behind Southern prison walls. There, I was fortunate enough to receive both an undergraduate and graduate degree after writing hundreds of letters to garner a financial sponsor, as well as becoming a certificated paralegal and a human rights educator. However, I still found it exceedingly challenging to secure well-paying employment, even for diversity hires, as a trans woman. When I reflect on how much greater these challenges are for others with carceral backgrounds, Some people that come to mind include older men incarcerated for 20-plus years or the single Black or Latina mother just trying to fix her life while giving her kids a future. Society has left them far behind, and it's an abject injustice that we expect them to succeed all on their own in spite of the obstacles arrayed against them. How is this rehabilitation? How is this justice? How is this a second chance? These are all a part of the monstrous lie that everyone, including myself, has been sold by the government and by our current culture. I once believed time served was just that, but I can now see it extends long after one leaves a carceral space. Our criminal injustice system is rooted in perverse incentives, all aligning to the almighty dollar that requires the commodity of prison bodies rolling in. This is not a problem confined to those incarcerated or working in prisons. This is our problem, every single one of us, because it is our communities and our futures that will be impacted by each formerly incarcerated person we either empower or leave by the wayside. Each day, every one of us contributes to the prison industrial complex when we support businesses that benefit from prison labor. Changing our consumption habits is not enough, We need to dismantle the systems that perpetuate mass incarceration, including the privatization of prisons and the militarization of the police, and we must hold accountable the corporations and government entities that profit from prison labor. The exploitation of formerly incarcerated individuals is not just a matter of individual ethics, but a systemic problem deeply embedded in our economy, Untangling the prison industrial complex requires a fundamental shift in our approach to justice, addressing the root causes of crime, prioritizing rehabilitation, healing, and community safety over punishment and profit. Some steps forward are demanding an end to prison labor contracts with private corporations, Supporting worker-led organizations and advocating for policies that protect workers' rights and ensure fair wages, such as the Fight for 15 and the Fair Food Program. Holding corporations accountable for labor violations and exploitative practices, such as wage theft, unsafe working conditions, and discrimination. Supporting the rights of all workers, including those who were formerly incarcerated, to organize and advocate for themselves without fear of retaliation. Ensure previously incarcerated workers are protected and given meaningful, fair-paying employment. And finally, implement criminal justice reform such as ending mandatory minimum sentencing and investing in alternative sentencing programs. Without a realignment of the current incentive structure for incarceration, we will continue to force people down a vicious, cyclical hole of capitalist pursuit. Our current system is determined to profit at the expense of not only our bodies, but our souls. It asks us to sacrifice our humanity to sustain an oppressive class structure. In this light, people like myself will never taste real justice or glimpse personal and social redemption. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all prior issues of Eat, Drink, and Do Good on Studio Tao's website at studiotao.org slash newsletter. I'm Emily Chen, the Head of Content at the Studio. Every month, we'll be releasing a new newsletter and podcast with social justice analyses from new and emerging writers. Make sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to be the first to know on all new episodes. All of our contributors are paid for their time and work, so if you're able, please consider supporting us as a monthly donor via Patreon or via a one-time gift at studiohotel.org donate.